A Light to the Nations is a production of the Ephesus School Network. Hello, I'm Father Fred Shaheen, and you are listening to episode 25 of A Light to the Nations. In Orthodox liturgical practice, the scriptural readings outside of feast days and the Lenten and Pascha cycle are drawn from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, with the Sunday readings taken exclusively from those two books. Beginning the Sunday after Pentecost, which date varies each year, Matthew begins the lectionary. We continue hearing from Matthew until the commemoration of the conception of St. John the Forerunner on September 23rd, after which the readings come from Luke. With this practice, a person attending church every Sunday throughout the year is hearing almost exclusively from Matthew and Luke. Significantly, these two books happen to contain the most parables, And while all of scripture can be considered a mashal, a teaching story, the passages which are presented as parables are the ones most valued by the church for the purpose of illustrating a point. Liturgical wisdom seems to skew scripture's value to teach in favor of two of the four gospels. Moving ahead on this podcast, we will continue to work our way through the readings from the church lectionary. It is appropriate that the church makes the so-called Lucan jump after September 23rd, since Luke is the only one of the four gospels to include an account of John's conception and birth. Today's passage is the daily reading for Friday, October 6th, which also happens to deal with John, the forerunner and Baptist. Let's hear Luke chapter seven, verses 31 through 35. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus' words about the men of this generation pick up from his address to the multitudes about John from a few verses earlier. There we hear him say, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. But Luke assures us at this point that in spite of Jesus' high praise of John, not everyone accepts his endorsement. There's a division between the tax collectors, of whom it is said they justified God when they heard Jesus, and the Pharisees who reject him. And this isn't unexpected, since we hear in the next verses that the same tax collectors had been baptized with the baptism of John, while the Pharisees, along with the lawyers, are said to have rejected the will of God for themselves. 
that is, they rejected John and his baptism, just as they now reject Jesus and his words, both of which are seen as expressions of God's will. So the division falls along the lines of those who had received John and those who had rejected him. The same ones who rejected John now reject Jesus. The forerunner and the Messiah preached the same message, however their approaches were different. John abstained while Jesus eats and drinks. What's important here is that the issue of eating and drinking, that is to say table fellowship, is at the center of how both John and Jesus are received. One of the chief criticisms about Jesus is that he shares a table with sinners, that is, those on the outside. On this issue, Luke is following the lead of Paul, who in Galatians describes a break with the Jerusalemite leadership over this very issue, table fellowship with Gentiles, who were regarded by Jews as de facto sinners. In verse 28, we learn that the ones receiving both John and Jesus are tax collectors, again, sinners in the eyes of the religious leaders, the ones who both rejected John and who continue to reject Jesus. Beginning with verse 31, we hear Jesus comment on that rejection. He likens the men of this generation to children in the marketplace whose expectations are not met. Notice how in their complaint, they make themselves the reference. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. In scripture, it is always the teaching, the scroll containing the words that express the will of God that must be the reference, and thus must be that to which the hearer submits. The ones who rejected John, who fasted and drank no wine, are the ones who also reject Jesus on the accusation that he drinks wine and is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This last point, the association with sinners, zeroes in on the most critical aspect of the passage, and it reiterates a basic teaching that all are in need of repentance. Paul argues this point forcefully in Romans, and Luke picks up on it throughout his narrative. If the religious leaders reject the teaching of Jesus because they think they are righteous, then they will not receive forgiveness, while the ones who are regarded by them as sinners will receive it. While both groups are in need of forgiveness of sins, it is only the ones who acknowledge that need for repentance that are going to benefit. Here we can go on a brief aside and make one comment about a difference between this text and the parallel text in Matthew, where Jesus speaks about John the Baptist. In both, Jesus is asked if he is the coming one or if they should look for another. In Matthew, Jesus says, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In his account, Luke mentions verbatim the same messianic signs. However, he reverses the order of seeing and hearing. Luke says, Go tell John the things that you have seen and heard. It's as if in Luke, seeing is given the priority. And this is understandable since Luke also adds the comment in verse 21. 
and that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Whereas Matthew emphasizes hearing first, that is, the teaching as expounded in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Luke stresses the immediacy of the messianic signs happening right in front of their eyes and the importance of their witness to them. This makes the refusal of those hearing Jesus in Luke even more condemning. A hallmark of Luke's gospel is the motif of sinners receiving forgiveness after acknowledging their status as sinners. Earlier in chapter 5, when his disciples are asked by the Pharisees, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The most succinct illustration of this motif is perhaps the parable of the Pharisee and the publican in chapter 18 of Luke, in which two men go to the temple to pray, and only the one who acknowledges himself as a sinner goes home justified. Here in chapter 7, beginning at verse 35, immediately following the passage about John, we hear about Jesus eating at the house of Simon the Pharisee where a woman who is a sinner receives Jesus with oil and tears. When Simon questions why Jesus allows such a woman to touch him, Jesus compares her reception of him with Simon's and teaches him that forgiveness is born out of repentance, that is to say, a return to obedience to the commandments of the law, the heart of which is expressed through love. In verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins is even more overarching in Luke when we consider how the author uses it to form an inclusion. This is a literary device in which a particular word or phrase brackets a larger body of the text, serving as both introduction and conclusion. The authors of the biblical text employ inclusion for the purpose of stressing that both what is stated at the outset of the text and what is reiterated at its conclusion apply to everything in between. In chapter 3 of Luke, we hear... The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went out into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And in chapter 24, before Jesus is ascended to heaven, he says the following to his eleven. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's verses 46 and 47. So in a literary sense, repentance and forgiveness of sins brackets almost the entire gospel of Luke from the beginning of John's ministry in chapter 3 till Jesus' ascension in chapter 24. The entire section of Jesus' discussion of John here is also bracketed by another inclusion, which isn't as obvious. Variant manuscripts of this text say in verse 19 that John called two of his disciples to him and sent them to the Lord. Then when Jesus begins speaking about the men of this generation in verse 31, 
which is a continuation of his discussion about John, Luke specifies that it is the Lord who says these words. It's as if in this micro section of Luke chapter 7, which stresses the need for repentance and the forgiveness of sins, while acknowledging the immaturity of the men of this generation, the author casts Jesus specifically as the Lord, that is, Yahweh. If we're not convinced that this is the intention, consider that in the middle of these two references to the Lord, when speaking of John in verse 27, Jesus references a text that comes from both the prophet Malachi and from the law. Let's hear the passage from Exodus chapter 23, in which the one speaking is none other than the Lord himself. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. That's verses 20 and 21 of Exodus chapter 23. Let's hear in that passage the severity with which the Lord warns against provoking his angel, his messenger, for he will not pardon your transgressions. In Luke, the ones who rejected John, the messenger of the Lord, are the Pharisees, descendants of those sons of Israel whom the Lord is warning in that passage from Exodus. It is they who are being extended another invitation alongside the tax collectors and sinners, that is the outsiders, to receive instruction from the Lord through the teaching of his Christ. It is this invitation that will, unlike the first one, offer remission of their sins, but they must accept it the same way as the outsider does, by acknowledging their status as sinners. Thus, it is reiterated that remission of sins comes as a gracious act by the hand of the Almighty God via the call of the one he appoints as his sole representative, his Messiah, Jesus. This concludes episode 25 of A Light to the Nations. I hope you've enjoyed listening. I look forward to meeting with you again soon. Thank you. Mm-hmm.